Our guest today on Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk is Bill Browder, the founder and CEO of Hermitage Capital Management. At one time, Browder's fund was the largest foreign investor in Russia with $4.5 billion under his company's management. He's the author of Red Notice, which was published in early February, and I suspect many of you saw his interview with Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes that first aired in February of 2014. You know, I enjoy reading political thrillers, and Bill, while reading Red Notice, I had to remind myself that this was not fiction, but a story that you lived and that continues to impact your life. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. You were expelled from Russia in 2005, and President Putin has declared you a threat to national security. In real terms, what does this mean? And are there still any legal proceedings against you or your associates? Well, ba basically, um, I broke the golden rule in Russia by um, publicly exposing and speaking about corruption. And, and in retaliation for that, I've become a true enemy of the Russian state and an enemy, a personal enemy, of Vladimir Putin's. And um, as, as such, he can use all of the tools, all the, all the tools that a sovereign state has against an enemy. And those tools include um, legal tools, um, and unfortunately, extra legal tools. And so they're both, uh, the Russian government is going after me with various criminal prosecutions. Um, they've tried three times to go to Interpol to issue a red notice for me, hence the name Red Notice of my book. Um, uh, they have um, launched numerous civil cases against me in different jurisdictions, and they have made very explicit death threats and kidnapping threats um, over the years. Which has certainly changed your life. Yeah, unfortunately, my life is a lot different now than it was as a carefree businessman 10 years ago. Now, Red Notice, uh, Interpol de declared that as being uh, not valid, right? So Interpol is a, um, uh, an organization, an international organization that mostly does good, but occasionally a corrupt regime like Russia will try to abuse Interpol for their own political or criminal purposes. And um, uh, Interpol does have a constitution which, which allows them to reject what they call illegitimate or politically motivated red notices. And they don't normally invoke that power. And there's many people who are uh, illegitimately pursued or on the Interpol red notice list. But my case has become so, uh, uh, so uh, well known and so dramatic that, that if Interpol were to have upheld Russia's request, it probably would have led to the, to the loss of credibility of Interpol. You know, from 1996 until 2005, you made millions, if not really billions, for yourself and, and your investors. We don't, unfortunately, have a lot of time, but explain to us, if you can, how you were able to buy Russian companies so cheaply and create for your investors such a high rate of return. Well, um, in, in the, um, when, when Russia left the Soviet Union, um, a man named Boris Yeltsin became president. And one of his big objectives was to take the country from communism to capitalism. And to do that, he believed that the best way to make capitalists was to give people property. And at the time, everything was owned by the state. And so they came up with something called the Russian Mass Privatization Program, where they were going to give away assets for free to the people through this mass privatization. And they gave away the assets for free. And, and then people started to sell their shares on different stock exchanges. And they were trading at a very, very small premium to free. And if you did the analysis, uh, that meant that Russian companies were trading at greater than 99% discount to Western companies of comparable business. And um, my, my calculation was very simple. 
that, that if you buy something at a 99% discount, um, it could go to a 100% discount and you lose all your money. But if things just slightly improve from horrible to bad, then the 99% discount might go to a 90% discount. And if it goes from 99% to 90, you make 10 times your money. And so the, the, the trade was, uh, in Russia wasn't I, wasn't, I wasn't promising everybody that they were going to make money. What I said was that there was a 50% chance you'd lose all your money and a 50% chance you make 10 times your money. And you should maybe take a very small piece of your portfolio and put it into that risk-reward. Better than a Texas lottery. Um, well, uh, you know, lottery is, is, uh, is, is rigged against you. This one was, was um, uh, because, of the, because, of pe- because nobody in the world understood it. It was rigged for you. But in 2007, things really changed. And what you have characterized in your book, the Russian mafia stole your companies through really a, 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 a surprisingly simple scheme of forging documents, resulting in essentially mid-level bureaucratic crooks getting quite a payday for their efforts. It strikes me for this to have happened that corruption must be so very deep and is probably endorsed at the top of the food chain. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the one the one part of your description which I would disagree with is that the Russian mafia didn't do this. The Russian government did this. I should say Russian government officials who were working hand-in-hand hand with the mafia. And this is one of the big misconceptions that everybody has about Russia. They look at the Russian government, they say, well, that's the government, and they look at Russian mafia and say, that's the mafia. But in fact, there's no distinction. And the people who are members of the Russian mafia don't look like the gangsters that we see in, in Hollywood movies. They look like people wearing... Um, uh, very finely tailored suits and, and Hermes ties and have good haircuts and wear fancy watches and have sometimes gone to the best law schools or big business schools in the West but then are now working inside the Russian government um, doing high-level money laundering, extortion, embezzlement, and other things in which there's terrible human costs in the process. And that's what I wanted to turn to now is, is, is the human cost. The real tragedy of your experience was the death in 2009 of a remarkable man, your lawyer and a good friend, Sergei Maninsky. He was only 37 at the time of his death. And it is clear from your writings that he touched you so greatly and also that you feel in part responsible for what happened. What, what made him so special? Well, Sergei Magnitsky was, first of all, an extremely smart man. He was the kind of person that could do 10 things in the time it took other people to do one. And he was an extremely principled man. He was a person who believed in in the rule of law. He believed in justice and fairness. And he was also a a true advocate in in, in the truest sense of the word. When you go and hire a lawyer, um, oftentimes lawyers don't really care about you. But this man, when we hired him um, to help help us with this terrible uh, corruption scheme. He really cared about me and cared about my colleagues and wanted to do everything he could to help. And he put himself out and he put himself in harm's way to try to, to help us. And in doing so, um, he became the victim. And um, he was he exposed an enormous government corruption scheme, a scheme of $230 million of money stolen from the government. Um, and he exposed that on our behalf. And in response to him doing that, he was then personally arrested put in pretrial detention, uh, tortured for 358 days in the most horrific ways, and ultimately killed at the age of 37. And there's no way that I could live with myself after after his death um, if I didn't do something, if I didn't do everything to go and get the people, who, bring those people to justice who killed him. And that brings us to the Magnitsky Act 
and its passage certainly took a Herculean effort on your part. You learned a lot about the U.S. government and how it operates. Um, how difficult was it to get that legislation passed? Well, so the Magnitsky Act is a piece of legislation which imposes visa sanctions and asset freezes on the people who killed Sergei Magnitsky and the people who perpetrate other gross human rights abuses in Russia. It's kind of a no-brainer if you think about it. And, and the way I pitched it in Washington to members of Congress was, should we or shouldn't we let Russian torturers come to America? And the obvious answer is we shouldn't. And there's no... There, 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 no, there's not a single um, House House member or senator who would lose a single vote in their constituency by supporting this piece of legislation. And so it was an easy thing to sell to members of Congress. The problem that I had was that um, the administration um, uh, didn't want to do anything to upset Russia. There was something called the Russian Reset Program, which was in place. And this was a program put in place when President Obama first came to power in which he... Um, this is Hillary Clinton famously pushing the reset button. Indeed. And, um, and the idea behind it was, was fairly straightforward, which was that America wanted to renegotiate arms or, or wanted to negotiate arms, arms reduction treaty, treaties with the Russians. And in exchange for getting what, what they wanted in those, in those negotiations, they were ready to look, look away from everything else, look away from human rights abuses, all over Russia, look away from um, our historic support of Georgia, Poland, the Czech Republic, etc. Look away from a missile shield that, that was being discussed, putting in place in that part of the world, and kind of letting Russia run roughshod over everybody for everything. And um, I don't believe that in the end they ended up getting what they wanted in terms of these um, nuclear disarmament, and at the same time everybody else was sold, uh, sold down the river. And, and, and the problem that we had was that um, the Obama administration did everything they could to stop us from, from getting this law passed. And, and um, um, in spite of overwhelming support in, in Congress, it took a really long time and a lot of maneuvering before the law finally came up for vote because the administration tried so hard to stop it. And um, who was really in your corner to get it through? Well, this was one of the one of the the, the, the sort of good news stories of American politics was that it was a, bi a true bipartisan effort. The, the the men who were who were help, helping me get it through were Benjamin Cardin, a Democrat, and Roger Wicker and John McCain, who were two Republican senators um, on the Senate side. And uh, and those those men um, working truly as as sort of righteous politicians as opposed to um, partisan politicians made this happen, and this law passed 92 to 4 in the Senate. And is this somewhat the foundation that the administration is now using in Russia as a basis for some of the sanctions that we're seeing? This, this, this was the um, blueprint for the, for the sanctions um, on, against Russia for the invasion of Ukraine, and it's now be about to become the blueprint, I believe, for how to deal with human rights abuse worldwide. There's now something called the Global Magnitsky Act, which has been introduced um, into Congress at the end of January, which would impose visa sanctions and asset freezes on human rights abusers everywhere, from China to Uzbekistan to um, Bahrain to wherever. And, um, uh, and this has effectively become, in a globalized world, it's, this has become the new technology for, for dealing with bad guys, which is to go after the individuals who commit the abuses by taking away their ability to travel and their ability to spend money in America. And, and in, 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 back in the days when the Khmer Rouge existed, they weren't going on vacation to Saint-Tropez. But um, I can promise you that the Uzbek president and his family are. 
and this is a, a real leverage that we have in America and, and that, that other Western countries have to create consequences and end impunity for human rights violators. And a great tribute to Sergei Maninsky. And his name is on the bill. We just have a, a, another minute, and so I want to ask you about Vladimir Putin. What do you think is his ultimate end game, and are we still underestimating him? I believe that, that we're both underestimating him, and there's a terrible confusion in America about who this man is and what he's all about. There's still some feeling that he's a, a Russian <coughs> nationalist and that somehow this is our fault that he's acting this way. He's neither a nationalist um, nor is it our fault. He is a kleptocrat. He's a man who's just doing everything possible to stay in power so he can steal from his people the way that Mobuto Seike of Zaire did. Um, and um, uh, and there's this confusion that that's, um, about what to do with him. There's only one, one way to deal with a man like this, which is containment. We need to contain him and dis disempower him by taking away the resources he has to cause trouble. And at the moment, there's still a feeling and an unrealistic feeling, not just among in the U.S. administration, but in Europe as well, that somehow he can be appeased. And we all know how appeasement works. Um, we all can look back at um, Neville Chamberlain waving his piece of paper right. uh, after he came off the, uh, the plane from negotiating with Adolf Hitler. And that, that, that doesn't work to appease dictators. An important lesson for us to remember. Bill, I want to thank you for being uh, my guest on Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. Red Notice, as I mentioned earlier, provides great insight into what makes Russia today so dangerous and underscores how we have perhaps misread and underestimated Putin's intentions. It's also extremely well-written and exciting. I strongly recommend it. Remember, go to worldaffairscouncils.org to learn about council membership. There you will also find program updates for many of the 90 councils located in nearly every state. Thanks for listening.